What's that? All right, that sounds good. Well, good morning. Or should I say good afternoon almost, right? We said I got to what, three? Was it or four? Was it today? Yeah. All right. Well, well good. I just feel like I need to do, uh, let's just do a couple things before I get started here. Um, I just kind of want to break off some stuff that I think is just going to help everyone receive a little bit more clearly. Let me just make a couple statements, and then I'm just going to invite you to just to encounter something. Here's what worry is. Worry is imagining your future without God there. So whatever it is that you're worrying about, it's impossible to worry about it if you believe that God is going to be there with you. I worked in a psychiatric ward for three years, and uh, one of the things we'd have to do sometimes if people got super violent, we'd have to take them to the timeout room. And so the way I'm built, I, I'm not really good at physical confrontation. I have a low pain threshold and uh, just did not look forward to those in kind of uh, encounters. And so I remember one time there was this guy, he was actually demonized, and the day before, he was picking people up. He was just a little guy, about five feet, and I looked like a jockey, you know, and he was picking people up and throwing them across the room, which this, this, I, there's nothing about that scenario that appeals to me. Of just, you know, it's just like, why? Well, I, I don't want to do that. And so, so I, uh, I'm doing patrol, making, making notes on uh, what's going on in the rooms, and this guy is tearing his room up. He's just throwing the bed. He's just going absolutely crazy. And so I knew it was my job to, you know, give him a warning. And so I said, hey, I said, you need to stop that behavior or I'm going to have to take you to the timeout room. All of a sudden, he gets this look of fear on his face. I was like, all right, then. It's about time I got some respect around here. And there, there's another guy. We called him Big Rick. Big Rick was 6'8", 320 pounds. He was a football player. And I didn't realize that Big Rick was behind me. And so I'm thinking this guy's responding to my uh, bravado or something. And I turn around and I see Big Rick. And once I realized that Big Rick was there, a whole new level of confidence came over me. I found myself saying things like, that's right, you better shape up. <laughs> I want you guys to realize that anywhere you go, you've got something better than Big Rick with you. Amen. Whatever situation you're facing, let me make another statement. Any area of your life that you do not have glistening hope for, you're believing a lie, and that can turn into a stronghold for you. So picture any of your life. Is it finances? Are you worried about finances? Okay. Sowing and reaping is not to get God to bless you. Sowing and reaping is to increase your harvest of righteousness. Here's what Jesus said. He said, the birds neither sow nor reap nor store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father provides for them all. Okay, if my kids had to say, Dad, I cleaned my room today. Will you please feed me? I'd be a terrible father if my kids thought they had to give me something and do something for me in order for me to take care of their needs. Okay, anyone in here, God's going to take care of your needs just because he loves you. Sowing and reaping is not to bribe God to be a good dad. Sowing and reaping. Re <laughs> it's Canadian. Reaping. <laughs> Rooping is advanced reaping. It's like, it's so up there, I'm scared to talk about it. <laughs> Sowing and reaping is to increase your harvest of righteousness. It's to take what God's given you so that you have more than enough to give away. Amen. And so no seed, no crop. I mean, you can, uh, you know, if a farmer didn't sow any seed and he could, he could march around the field seven times, blow the shofar, make declarations, no crop. He could have all-night prayer meetings. He could get on the Elijah list. He could have all the, anything that he wanted to have happen. No seed, no crop. 
okay? So here's what I want to do is I just, uh, if you're just kind of feeling some worry and uh, just for any situation, I'm, just, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. But I'm just going to ask you, I just have everyone just close your eyes right now and just uh, let's just ask the Lord. Lord, is there an area of my life that I do not have glistening hope? And just let him bring that to your mind. Lord's just going to give you like a knowing or a picture. That's how he's going to speak to you. Lord, is there an area in my life that I do not have glistening hope? There's an area that I'm worrying about. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. Lord, show me what that situation is really like with you there. What would that situation look like if God showed up at big time? Just allow him to just paint that picture on your imagination. In the name of Jesus, I break off stress, worry, fear, anxiety. Here's, all, here's what fear is, guy. Fear is faith in the devil. I break off fear in the name of Jesus. I release a peace right now, the shalom peace of heaven that sets everything right. Those, those situations that seem impossible, we refuse to believe that you are not there and that you are not good. All right. I felt like I was supposed to do that, so here we go. Are we good? All right. This morning, I want to talk to you about emotional healing. Jesus not only paid for your sin, he not only paid for your outer sickness, but he paid for that emotional turmoil on the inside, that whole range of emotions that we all pick up. And I just want to show you how simple it is. And so I would imagine everyone in here, this is going to connect with you. But here's, here's some really good news. By the time I'm done today, you're going to view Jesus as better than you ever thought. I know that's a, that's a big order. Some of you have been in church a long time, and you're like, you're not going to tell me anything new. I dare you to not learn something new today. I dare you to not get an upgrade in your view with God. All right? So I double dog dare you. I don't know if they have that. I don't know if they have that in Canada, but they... If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. Since therefore the children, that's you and I, you and I share in the flesh and blood, that is that Jesus was a human, he became a human just like us, Likewise, partook of the same things that through death he might destroy or render powerless the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. In other words, Jesus did not become an angel to save angels. He became a human to save humans. Okay? Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation is uh, sacrifice language. It means someone took the place of someone else. Okay? For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help come to the aid of those who are being tempted. Flip the page, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Here's what we know about Jesus. We know that he, was, he really became a human being. It wasn't just a, 
wasn't just a show. He wasn't just acting out a part. He really was a human being. In some mysterious way, he also was God at the same time. So here's what I want to uh, begin to paint a picture. We're not going to really understand what it means for Jesus to be our high priest until we understand the Hebrew mindset. And so it's really hard for us to understand that one person could stand for many. In, uh, in the American government, the American system, you know, you do the crime, you do the time type of thing. But in the Hebrew mindset, one person could stand for all. So I just want to just talk you the story of David and Goliath real quick just to kind of get this picture at you. So I want you to imagine the scene. The Philistines, they were a lot like the Vikings of their day. They're just going through, pillaging. They were just barbarians. They're taking whatever they wanted, slaughtering people, all these type of things. And when they would go to war, they would dress up in this brass armor that they kept very highly polished. And they also had these headdresses that looked something like an Indian headdress with large feathers standing, uh, you know, coming out of and everything. And they would come out, when they, if you remember when they came out, they came out at sunrise and sunset. So the sun is just beaming off of this armor. And they had some big boys in their camp. Remember the sons of Anak? Uh, one of them was Goliath. So... You know, the tallest in Israel at that time was about six feet. You know, Goliath is near 10 feet. So um, I'm a little over six feet. So just picture four feet above my head. You know, the average uh, Israelite at the time was about five and a half feet tall. So pretty intense. I mean, it's like fighting a building. It's like, how are we going to fight this guy? And so he comes and he engages in warfare at that time that they understood. Here's what he said. He says, I am a Philistine. We don't need to have all this fighting going on. I will represent all of Philistia. You send out your champion. I'll be the champion for my country. If you defeat me, we all become your slaves. If, you, if, uh, if I defeat your man, all of Israel gets enslaved. You guys remember this story? This is the Hebrew mindset. One person could stand for all. And so you know the story. David comes up. He was too young to make the draft. He's back home with his harp and the sheep training to be a king, right? Understanding the presence of God and all those good things. And so he goes, and uh, Saul had said, you know, hey, anyone who can defeat this Philistine gets to marry my daughter. Well, suddenly everyone begins to think his daughter's ugly. It's like, she is not that good looking that I'm going to go out and fight this building, right? Then he says, no one ever has, whoever defeats this Philistine never has to pay taxes again. And the Israelites are thinking, dead men don't pay taxes, I'm not going to go and get killed, you know. So no one, no one is, is, is going out. And so David comes up. And remember, he's bringing, like, the, the cheeseburgers to his brothers up there. And he's, you know, they didn't have uh, the evening news. And so David's checking out. And he's going to bring a report back to his father, Jesse. And so he goes there. And it just happened to be that time where uh, Goliath came out. Remember, he did this night and day for six weeks straight. And the Israelites are just cowering, shaking in their boots. And so here's this, uh, this challenge come out. Goliath comes out and says, give me a man. And uh, if we beat you, you will be in subjection to us. But if someone beats me, and, you know, David, at first, he's thinking, this must be the first time this is ever challenged because why isn't anyone going to kick this guy's butt? And so, so we know the story. David tries on the armor, doesn't fit. So he goes out there in his, his uh, shepherd clothes, grabs five stones along the way, and here he is dancing in front of this giant looking for an opening. Remember in Star Wars? I mean, isn't Star Wars? I mean, that's just beautiful. <laughs> it is. I cannot wait till 2015 for the remake, of, or the, not the remake, the part seven of, uh, no, I guess it'd be part four, five, six. Yeah, part seven. So yeah, J.J. Abrams. It's going to be phenomenal. But if you remember in uh, Star Wars, there was one weakness on the Death Star. Remember, it was just a little two-meter thing, and, but he had been at home practicing shooting wombats on his Land Cruiser. Remember that? Daniel remembers it. Daniel's getting blessed right now. 
On the Philistine armor, there was only one spot of weakness, and it was where the visor came down, right in the middle of the forehead. And so here's David. But you have to understand this. As David's running out to the battlefield, he was no longer just representing David. He was representing all of Israel. Do you understand that? All of Israel was in their covenant representative. So as he danced around, they're dancing around. As he's whizzing around that slingshot, all of Israel could feel it as if that were them on that battlefield. Because as went David, so went the entire country. You getting the picture? And so he sees this little kid, almost like a mosquito. He says, what am I, a dog? Did you come at me with sticks? He's like, who is this kid? He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? This guy doesn't have a covenant. We've got a covenant. I got Big Rick with me. I've got Jesus with me. As he twirls it, he lets it go, hits him between the eyes, knocks him down, takes off his sword, hacks off his head. They never showed that in children's church. They never, they never paint the whole picture of David and Goliath, right? Hacks his head off with his own sword, holds it up, and all of Israel yells, we won. Don't you think that's odd? Israel, coward, was too chicken to come out and fight, and yet their champion went out before them, and they got credit for everything that their champion did. Keep that in mind as we're talking about Jesus, the high priest. Jesus represented all of humanity. He was the perfect man. He didn't have any sin. So when he went and died on the cross, when he went and lived his life, he was not doing it just for himself. He was not doing it just for you. He was doing it as you. See, all of humanity is summed up into one man. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. When you were born into this planet, you were in Adam, and you inherited a disease called the sin nature. And it was incurable in human terms. But when, uh, you, when you came into Christ, that old man died, and you were reborn into a new race that is now inhabited by the Holy Spirit. So here's what the Bible says, things like this. It says, when Jesus was buried, in, uh, when, you, um, when you were water baptized, you were buried with Christ in baptism. So when he was buried, he was not only buried for you, he was buried as you. It's as if you yourself were being put in that grave, raised to a newness of life. One man can stand for all. Okay? So can I hit the pause button? Keep that in mind as we move on. Okay? All right. All right. We also read that he, uh, he was our high priest and that he can sympathize with our weakness. Here's what the word sympathize means. Not merely knowing about something, but having it as an experience. Now, I was there for the birth of all three of my boys. Uh, another thing that you might not know about me is I was pre-med. I, I wanted to be a, a doctor in medical school. So I know all of the anatomy and physiology of what happened in a birth. So if someone says, Jim, do you know what it's like to have a baby? <laughs> Absolutely, I know what it's like. I read the books. <laughs> I watched it happen. I know exactly what it's like to have a baby. Now, if someone were to tell my wife, you don't know what it's like to have a baby. See, she has a completely different experience level with childbirth, not because she read it in a book, not because she watched it happen to someone else, but because, you know, this giant head came out of this body and all, all the stuff that happened with it. My goodness, what a miracle. God does not know what your pain is like because he's all-knowing, because he read about it in the, you know, omnipotent, omnipotent book of humanity. He doesn't know about your pain because he watched it happen from afar. Jesus came as our high priest, and he experienced everything that you will ever experience. 
not only did he experience it, but he had victory in it. So Jesus just wasn't this pincushion. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've experienced every temptation, every horrible thing. No, no. He wasn't just this victim. And now he can, he can sympathize with you. Oh, I know it's so bad, but it's great up here. Just hold on. He's experienced it to the full so that you don't have to carry the pain and the sting of that. He swallowed it up with the life that he received from the Father. So now he's not just giving you advice in a situation. Well, here's what I would do in that situation, you know, and I would just, no. He actually takes the life that the Father imparted into him in that situation, and he imparts that situation into you. There's actually an exchange that takes place. So let me begin to paint a picture of Jesus. Jesus was born and raised in a third world country with no indoor plumbing and no running water. There's, uh, there's never going to be a time that you are able to go to Jesus and say, you don't know what I've gone through, okay? He's born in a third world country in a stable. Now, I don't know what you understand when you hear that Jesus was born in a stable. If you look at the Christmas cards, you would think that it was almost a desirous place to be born. It's like, oh, it looks so warm and cozy, you know, and they got this, the fluffy straw. And, oh, it's so cute. There's some animals over there watching it, Okay. The only equivalent that we could have today of, uh, of a, being born in a stable would be Jesus was born in a dirty truck stop. <laughs> Here's what a stable was. Travelers would come from afar. They would have their camels. And I'm not sure if you realize this. Camels are the nastiest, most honorary animals God has ever created. Nasty animals. I don't know why he created those. So they would bring their camels to this truck stop area. And so remember, there was no room for Jesus in the inn. So here's what an inn was. If you're picturing the Ramada that they've got to stay in, not what they stayed in, okay? Here were the hotel rooms. So there would be, the, this whole sanctuary area would be like the parking lot. This would be the stable. And the rooms would be these man-made caves, these man-made holes. And the people would go up there, put in their bedding, and sleep for the night. That, that was what they slept in. So they had no room for Jesus there. So they set up a stable, which is the straw. It's where the animals would all their fluids and eating and potty breaks would happen, okay? So Jesus is born right in the middle of that. We hear the, um, Jesus grew up under the stigma of being born out of wedlock. Now, the stigma is a lot stronger back in first century Judaism than it is today. So his whole life, he had this label on him. Jesus was two years old. He was ripped out of his crib and had to flee from his life for his life from one of the worst dictators ever to walk this planet. We hear the stories of Nazi Germany. We hear the horrors of the, of the Holocaust in Somalia and those type of things. Jesus grew up in one of the most oppressive regimes. And so he literally, as a baby, had to flee for his life and had a madman, demon-possessed madman, hunting him down, trying to kill him. Jesus knows what it's like. He was raised in Nazareth. And I'm just going to say this because this is how all of Israel felt. What a dump. Remember what Nathaniel said? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And when he said that, he was reflecting how all of society felt. Can anything good come from that out in the sticks, out in Hicksville, out in the hills there? The Roman garrison was in Nazareth. Nazareth was a place filled with terrorists. Picture an Al-Qaeda training camp. That is a lot. The zealots and all those people that you read about in the Bible... Nazareth was filled with that. History tells us that Jesus would have grown up um, looking over the hills of Nazareth and very frequently seeing a cross, 
a reminder to them of this is what happens to any Jew that tries to stand up to Rome. He had seen many crucifixions in his day. Nazareth was the worst place a Roman soldier could ever be stationed. If you were there, it's because you were bad somewhere else. And so the Romans absolutely hated the Jews. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus was the sinless one, okay? Have you ever thought about a sinless toddler? If you've ever had toddlers, you've never thought about a sinless toddler before. But Jesus was a sinless toddler being raised with other sinful toddlers. Can you imagine the the pressure in that little house in Nazareth? At age 12, uh, Jesus, he was mentally far advanced than the other 12-year-olds, not because he had some super brain, but because his brain wasn't clouded with sin. So he was just normal, but he didn't have that. Remember, uh, his parents went looking for him, and they spent three days trying to find him. Remember that whole mess? Now, have you ever been a teenager who knew more than his parents? Do you remember that when you were a teenager? You thought, I know more than mom and dad. Remember that? Jesus actually was a teenager who knew more than mom and dad. And here's what it... Here's what it says in Luke. Here's what it says in Luke 2:51. It says that Jesus submitted himself to his parents. Here's what that tells me. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted to be a rebellious teenager. So any young person in here, you're feeling that churning of going from being a child to an adult, and you're kind of wanting to rebel against your parents. It tells me Jesus knows what that's like, and knows what it's like to receive the grace from God to move in that in a, in a godly way. Jesus was an apprentice to his father at age 12 uh, to become the carpenter of Nazareth. It was manual labor. It was long hours. Have you ever worked all day and you just come home dog tired? God knows what that's like. And then nothing. From age 12 to age 30, we have absolutely no information about Jesus' life. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking God becomes flesh. I want to know every single detail. What do you mean no information from 12 to 30? And that used to bug me until I realized this. Here's why this is. There was nothing to write about. His life was so normal. See, they couldn't write a book about my life and your life. Get up, brush my teeth, eat, go to work, come home, eat, brush my teeth, go to bed. His life was so normal. He was learning life in the kingdom of God in that time. That would, and he was learning what life was like in the, the, the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. See, a lot of people think that Jesus was just this charismatic holy man, just going from one miracle to the next, but he actually lived a very normal life. This should comfort you. Jesus knows what it's like to go through ordinary days with the Father, doing it in joy, doing it in rest, doing it in the Father's strength. A lot of people, when they read the Sermon on the Mount, they think that Jesus just came up with this stuff on the spot, like he just got this download from God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and he just started spitting these things out. Here's what you need to understand. It's illegal in the kingdom of God to preach what you have not yet lived. It's illegal in the kingdom of God to preach what you have not yet lived. Okay? So let's just begin to look at the Sermon on the Mount and understand that Jesus got these things from experience. I already told you, Jesus lived in Nazareth where the Romans hated the Jews. One of the favorite things that the Romans would do is they would see a young Jew and they would grab his coat and steal it from him. And what could they do? I mean, the Romans were the law. They couldn't fight back. They had, and they had an entire army. And what did Jesus say? If someone steals your coat, give them shirt, your shirt also. Where did Jesus get this from? There's many times these Romans unjustly took them and stole from them. And Jesus is like, nothing belongs to you. The Father will take care of you. He says, uh, Jesus said, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, 
which would be a backhanded slap. It would be, it would be a great insult to somebody. He said, turn them the other cheek. Now, where do you think he got that from? Because he'd been slapped on the cheek. He, he was learning the things of the, the ways of the kingdom. When the Romans were on the march, they would carry these enormous packs, and they had a law that they could find a young muscular Jew, dump the pack on him, and make him carry it one mile. And Jesus said, hey, when they do that to you, go ahead and carry it a second mile. Go ahead and just bless those that curse you. You guys remember this stuff? It was during these Monday's years between ages 12 and 30 that Jesus learned these things. It was during these years that, Joseph, that um, Jesus stood at the grave of Joseph, the only earthly father that he'd ever known. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to lose the only earthly man that he could call dad. He knew what it was like to go back to an empty house and pick up the responsibilities of the house. He knew what it was like. He took over the family business, and he got so well-known that he became known as the carpenter of Nazareth. He was a successful businessman, and he knows what it's like to be tempted to cheat, to be tempted to cut corners, to be tempted or to have to deal with strange customers. Can I get an amen? Anyone who's dealt with some strange customers? He knows what it's like to look at the Roman taxes that were very unjust, very unfair. They started at 50% and went up from there. I don't, I don't know what it's like in Canada. Maybe that's, maybe that's, yeah. it's pretty high in America. And uh, he knows what it's like to pray a prayer that says, Father, you who care for the birds, you know about our little house in Nazareth. And here's the taxes, here's our needs. We're trusting that just the same way that you provide for the birds, you'll provide for me. He knows what it's like to depend on his father for provision. He knows the anguish of having to leave everything behind. You have to understand in, in Israel, you know, when the kids got married, they built on another room to the house and so that the kids could live there. I know some people think that's great. Some people in this room are cringing, like, thank you, Lord, I'm not living with my in-laws. Jesus left behind everything that he knew, family, business, to answer the call of God. He knows what it's like to leave everything for the sake of the gospel. He knows what it's like to face Satan one-on-one, eyeball to eyeball. You have to understand, after the garden, Satan allowed his demons to do the tempting. There'd never been anybody that required his attention. But for the first time, it's, it's interesting, the contrast. So you have this beautiful garden with Adam, and you've got this howling wilderness for Jesus. You've got the, you know, this land of plenty, milk and honey, all the, you know, the fruit's already ripe. And here you have Jesus starving, fasting for 40 days. And here's a man, Jesus uh, meets Satan eyeball to eyeball and completely trashes him. This is when he bound the strong man. And from then on, it was pretty much over for the devil. This is why when Jesus would walk into the temple, the demons would scream and say, You're the Holy One. We read about you in the Demonic Gazette. We know you're the one who trashed our master. No one's ever trashed our master before. Are you here to destroy us too? Why do you think they were freaking out? Because Jesus just kicked Satan's butt in the, de- in the desert. Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood. I mean, how do you think it had to feel? His brothers didn't even believe in him. His mother didn't understand the call on his life. If you remember when they went into, he went into Capernaum, they wanted to commit him. Jesus, you're acting crazy. We're here to deal with this. He knows rejection. He knows loneliness. He knows failure. Remember when he stood over Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not come to me. God understands failure. He knows what it's like to be homeless. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus knows what it's like to be completely dependent on the Father for provision. 
when he rose from the dead, he didn't just become, he didn't just leave behind his earthly body and just become the spirit. He actually has a resurrection body. So you actually have a, a resurrected man ruling heaven. So he still has this humanity part and he still has this divinity part. It's not like he forgot about it. It was like, whoo, I'm glad to get out of that dump. Heaven sure is better. He did these things not only for us, he did them as us. And now it says that he's our faithful high priest, able to sympathize with our weaknesses so that no matter what we've gone through, Jesus is able to take a piece of his life off and give us that same strength and victory that he has. I can come with confidence to the throne of grace. I'm not sure if you've ever been going through a problem and someone puts their hand on your shoulder and says, God knows, God knows. That's like of zero comfort. Of course he knows. He's God. That doesn't really help me. But when you begin to understand that God feels, he's not just this, you know, giant being up there and with no, you know, he feels deeply. He feels the pain that you're going through, and he longs for you to come to him so that he can give you the strength that he went through to be victorious in that situation. There's a big difference there. He doesn't just give you advice. He communicates his life that triumphed in that situation. I'm not sure if you've ever noticed, but it seems like the last week of Jesus' life, it was way more intense than the previous 30-something years. I mean, have you ever wondered, why did Jesus have to suffer? We know it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin, right? Have you ever wondered, why did he have to suffer? I mean, in the Old Testament lambs, remember it was the blood that had the remission of sin. The lambs didn't suffer. They just pulled back the neck, cut the jugular vein. The blood was spilt. Sins were cleansed, right? Have you ever wondered, why did Jesus have to suffer? Why the beatings? Why the spitting in his face? Why the tearing out of his beard? Why the mockings? Why the scourgings? Why the crown of thorns? Why all of the hell on earth that went with the death? Have you ever thought about that? Now, in light of what we're, uh, we're talking about here, do you see why Jesus didn't just come just to die? He came also to live as a man so that there would never be a situation that you would ever go through that he did not have a victorious life in that situation. There's some things that Jesus couldn't experience just growing up in Nazareth under an oppressive regime. He had to go through something even more intense so that no human could ever get so low that Jesus hadn't have been there in victory. Remember Isaiah's prophecy? He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, traditionally, we in churches have emphasized that Jesus paid for our sins, and that's absolutely true. This verse includes that. Some churches, like this one, have included the fact that Jesus not only paid for our sins, but he paid for your sickness and for your abundant provision. Absolutely true. I just want to make sure we understand, too, he not only carried your sickness on the outside, he carried any sickness and pain that would happen on the inside. Here's what the word grief means. He says he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. The word grief in the Hebrew language, it's a big word. It means sickness, but not just physical sickness. It means weakness, distress, anguish, heartache, sadness, mourning, and misery. He took our weaknesses, and he took our distress. Anything that you could ever go through. He bore our griefs. It also says he carried our sorrows. Here's what sorrow means. Here's what it means in Hebrew. Pain of the mind and body. Mental, emotional pain of the one who was hurt by others. Jesus' last hours on earth were just full of grief and sorrow. So there's so much, sometimes there's sorrow in our lives that's caused by our own sin, right? But sometimes there's grief and sorrow in our life that's caused by the pain of others. Someone has done something unjust to us. Jesus carried these things too. Look at what Jesus went through. He was betrayed. 
Now, in light of what we've talked about, you can see why Jesus didn't come just to die on a cross and shed some blood, right? He came so that he could experience. So he was betrayed by his best friends. So remember, he's got Peter, his, uh, his best friend. He's got, uh, you know, John, his very best, best friend. Well, let's just start with Judas. Judas comes, and he does not just point to him and say, there he is. Remember, he came, and he greeted him with a kiss, which was the handshake of the day. But if you read the margin of your Bible, it says that he kissed him repeatedly. That would be the equivalent today of coming up and giving someone a big bear hug. Remember, Jesus kind of recoils, and he's like, Judas, you betray me with a kiss? The reason Jesus had to experience betrayal is so that anyone in here who maybe has gone through the pain of divorce has gone through a best friend, not only sticking a knife in your back, but twisting it. Those times where you've stayed up late at night just in that agony of how could this person do this to me? Jesus himself has been through that so that he could give you life in that situation. Emotional abuse. Peter and John, Jesus' two best friends, Jesus is on trial in the courtyard. Remember, Annas asks the legal question. Annas, the high priest, says, what do you teach? Jesus gives an interesting response. He gives a, a legal response. Ask those who heard me. This is, a, this is like him saying, I asked for my witnesses now. They can tell you what you teach. There's actually two of them over there. And remember what John did? It says John slumped down by the fire. And what did Peter do? He began cursing, cussing up and down, saying, I don't even know who this guy is. Remember the cock crowed for the third time? And then it says, uh, it says this, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Here's Jesus in his most dire hour of need. And his two best friends are saying, It's not convenient for me to know you right now, Jesus. We're out of here. Jesus was denied justice. Uh, the trials were happening at night. They were violating Jewish protocol. He was denied all human rights. He was physically abused. He was verbally abused. And I'm just going to say this as carefully as I can. Jesus understands sexual abuse. See, we've never seen in the West here a true picture of the crucifixion. When someone was crucified, they were forcibly stripped of all their clothes, put up on a cross naked for everyone to see so they could come by and mock them. So I want you to think about this Jesus, this, this pure man Jesus, who's never had an obscene thought, having these things done to his body. And so he knows what it's like. There's not a judge in Vancouver or Abbotsford or anywhere else that wouldn't tell you that if someone was forcibly stripped against their will and put on display naked for people to mock at, that that's not sexual abuse. And so there's people in here today, you've had things done to your body that you did not want done. And I'm just here to let you know, Jesus has a peace and a rest and a comfort for you that doesn't just come from him being God. It comes from him being human and having victory in that situation. You see the ladies of Jerusalem, they came by and they put some narcotics on the end of a sponge and they put it up to Jesus' lips. This is what they would do for the people just to help ease the ferocious pain in their last minutes of life. Remember what Jesus did? He refused it. Why? Because he wanted to experience that cup of suffering to the full so that there would never be a human on earth that he could not identify with. And so he took this abuse. He took this pain. And you and I can come boldly to the throne of grace. So God not only says, I know what you're going through, but he says, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it right now. And I want to give you the life that I had in that situation to overcome it and have victory. That's how you walk away from your past. That's how you forgive those who have abused you. See, forgiveness isn't saying, oh, that's okay. 
No. I mean, uh, forgiveness sometimes uh, may include seeing that person put in jail. I mean, you, you don't have to give up your right to see justice in that situation. Forgiveness means I'm giving up my right to see you hurt. I'm taking my hands off of your neck, and I'm turning you over to God. I'm putting the responsibility in his hands. My responsibility is to forgive. God's responsibility is what he does from there. I bless you. I hope good things for you under God's care. And the only way you're going to be able to walk in forgiveness is to be able to get these things healed on the inside. To get Some of you have been hurt, betrayed in business deals, whatever those things might be, and it hurts. And so God's not coming going, ah, get over it, you big baby. He's going over and he's saying, listen, that's real pain. That really hurts. And so I'm not going to just kind of wash over this thing. I'm going to not just put a Band-Aid on it. I'm going to give you life so that that thing is overcome by my kingdom. In uh, a couple years ago, um, about five years ago, my sister passed away. And so, uh, you know, obviously that was a very difficult time for my family. My cousin, uh, she had her brother and her father pass away. And so I, I did the funeral for both of them, those things. It was just a tough time in her family. So a little while ago, I'm having a dream. And in this dream, I'm sitting next to my cousin who has lost her father and her sister. And I'm grieving over the loss of my sister. And we are just wailing. We're just kind of overcome with grief. And I woke up, and there was this demonic grief on me that was so strong I could hardly breathe. I just felt hopeless. I just felt ripped apart on the inside. Then I remembered, Jesus has experienced everything I've experienced. And so in one moment, I said, God, I can't handle this grief. Give me something instead. And guys, I can't explain what happened to you fully, but there was a supernatural exchange that took place that quickly. And from that moment on, I never had that toxic, overwhelming grief. God gave me his peace instead. And so I want to talk to you about how these things work. Um, we've got like two minutes left. So you're getting squirmy. Hang on. Hang on. Just let the Baptists get to the lunch first. It's okay. We just bless them. That's right. I'm building your endurance. In the same way that he bore your sickness. And guys, I don't, I don't want this just to be like a one-time thing. This is something that you can walk in the rest of your life. When God forgives your sin, it's not like this long process. Okay, I'm going to forgive you, but it's going to take like six weeks of counseling for you to be able to feel, and it's instantaneous. Why? Because he already paid for it, okay? When God heals your body, it's, it, it's boom. There's a healing of your body, okay? This is the same way it happens for the healing of your insides. There's, a, there's something. So let me explain how this happens. Listen to Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. The first part's probably familiar to you. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is a prophecy about the Messiah, what he would carry. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison for those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion. Now listen to this. This is how this works. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. Okay? Here's how this healing comes. Uh, let me just say it complicated, then I'll try to say it simple. It comes through divine displacement. He replaces your junk with his life. It's all found in that word instead. 
Okay, listen to this. Beauty instead of ashes. You're sitting there in ashes, a sign of mourning, of weeping, of heaviness. And he gives you something instead. So he doesn't just wipe away the ashes. Okay? He gives you something better instead. The oil of joy instead of mourning. He doesn't just make it so you stop crying. There's actually a joy that begins to bubble up on the inside. That doesn't make sense to the world, but it's an impartation of his very life. The garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. God brings healing to those wounds by giving you a piece of his own nature instead of that pain, emotional abuse, whatever that might be that you're carrying. I want you to think about this. A life that cannot be stopped like that is a nightmare to the devil. Imagine a life where the enemy throws his worst at you. And those things actually become a stepping stone to you receiving an upgrade from God of his character. I mean, imagine that. What has that got to do to the enemy? Man, I'm throwing unforgiveness at them. You know, I've demonically inspired people to abuse them. I've done all these things, and they're receiving an upgrade of the life of God instead and walking stronger out of that. Here's the interesting thing. 2 Corinthians 1 says that you receive comfort from God so that you can now comfort others with that same life. Here's what that means. Anything that you receive from God, you now have an all-access pass to pass that out to other people. You've been abused, receive healing from God. You now have an all-access pass to go up to other abuse victims and talk them through this. Okay? So I'm about to lead you an exercise, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how this works. I'm going to let you experience this, and then I'm going to show you how to, how to give it away to somebody else, and then we'll, we'll close up here. So we had a lady who um, came in our church. I think I told the story over the weekend, but I'm going to apply it here. She came in our church in a wheelchair. The doctor said she would never walk again. It was, she was Catholic. It was her first time in a Protestant church. She came to our Saturday night service. And uh, so she came in, and as we're um, talking, I just felt like this lady's carrying something that she doesn't need to be carrying. And so I just said to her, I said, hey, um, I feel like you're carrying something that you don't need to be carrying. How about we just ask God what that is? And so she's like, God, what am I carrying that you don't want me to carry? And her eyes got big. (gasps) Unforgiveness towards my dad. I said, okay. I said, "Um, ask God what he wants to give you instead. And so she's not expecting to hear anything, you know? So she asked God, and all of a sudden she went, oh, I see a a field full of flowers. I said, okay, what's that mean? She says, she says, I see myself running through it, and it's the freedom God wants to give me. And so it meant a lot to her, and I, you know, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I was like, awesome, that's great. And so, um, so she receives that, and so she rolls her wheelchair up to our prayer teams, and two minutes later, she's out of the wheelchair completely. Remember, the doctor said, never walk again. She's out of the wheelchair, walking around, going, my husband's not going to believe this. My husband is not going to believe this. Okay, what happened? There was a healing on the inside, that led to healing on the outside. And we see this happen in our church over and over again. People will get healed of issues that and we're not even praying for physical healing. We've had people with giant tumors on their back get healed on the inside as they're praying, and the tumors disappear without prayer. We, we, have, we just had someone healed of dyslexia without even trying to get healed of dyslexia. They got healed of a wound on the inside. And I'm telling you, when you're healed on the inside, it spills over to the outside. I'm telling you, receiving healing from forgiveness is way tougher than receiving healing from cancer. If you can get healed of these scars and all these things, I'm telling you, it happens like that. The other stuff just falls off. 
So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just put down any, uh, any notes that you have or anything. And I want you to just, uh, we're going to ask the Lord just two or three questions here. Before we do that, I'm just going gonna, gonna to show you how to hear God's voice. Okay, you guys ready for this? Close your eyes. I did this over the weekend, so some of you weren't here. I'm going to have you say your first, middle, and last name in your mind. So you're not going to say it out loud. You're just going to say it in your mind when I count to three. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Okay. That, what that sounded like in your mind, that's how God's voice is going to sound to you. God is spirit. He's joined himself to your spirit. So when he speaks, it's going to sound like your thoughts to you. So some of you have been hearing God an awful lot. You just thought it was you. Okay? Of course it's going to sound like you because he's inside of you. All right? So when, you're, when uh, we're doing this exercise, you're going to ask the Lord a question. You're going to have a thought or you're going to get a picture. That's God speaking to you. Okay? So you guys ready? So uh, just begin to just turn your affections towards the Lord right now. Just think about him. Lord, I just pray that they would picture burning love coming from you towards them. Burning love, Lord. You've been look, You've had this date on your calendar to set them free from some things. So Lord, I thank you. Okay, here's the question for the Lord. Ask him, Lord, what negative emotions am I carrying at this time? Lord, what am I carrying that you don't want me to carry? So just ask the Lord that. How many of the Lord's giving you something right now? Okay, let's just wait another minute. It's good. The Lord may bring a face of someone. He may bring up a situation. Just ask him again. Lord, what am I carrying that you don't want me to carry? Okay, now ask him this. Lord, what do you want to give me instead? Whatever he's speaking to you, he's wanting to impart. And so just receive that by faith. Lord, I take that. Jim, it can't be that easy. It is that easy. It really is. Right now, Lord, I just release a grace for each one in here to receive. Lord, for those who have been abused, those who have had embarrassing things happen to them, those who have loss, right now in the name of Jesus, I release the life of God to receive that instead. Right now, I release a grace for an exchange of their junk for your life. Holy Spirit, just fall in this place right now. Just fall in this place right now. I just declare over you the words of Jesus, be made whole. This is no longer yours to carry. And Lord, I just usher them, I just release them into a season of grace and freedom. <laughs> and Lord, I just thank you that they are getting upgraded in their experience of you, and they're going to be able to give that away to others just as easy. Some of you are worried right now, what if this comes back? What if it doesn't? 
What if this is no longer a part of your personality? What if God really is as good as he says he is? What if you're tempted to believe a lie that it didn't happen and you go back and he just gives you more than you ever thought? Thank you, Lord. Doesn't that just feel good? This is yes, this is no. How many felt like you received something from the Lord? That's good. I encourage you when you're, um, you're talking to someone, the Lord may just kind of prompt you, and it's just those two questions. Hey, well, let's just ask the Lord, what am I carrying that you don't want me to carry? Is there some negative emotion that I'm carrying? And, uh, and just say, hey, you're going to get a thought, you're going to get a picture. And then ask the Lord, what does he want to give you instead? I'm telling you, we've seen people healed over and over. They don't even have to listen to that whole sermon. You can give them to them if you want to. But uh, it just works that good. And so would you mind if we just release some words over your house here? So Mary, you want to come up here with me? I wrote mine down in a very special place. The Ramada Inn free notebook there. So I'm going to have Mary go first. Or I can go first. However you want to do it. Yours are better than mine. Why don't you go last? Hers are. I'm looking. Oh, man. I brought peanut butter and jelly. She brought the filet mignon. Jeesh. Um, just a couple words for the church. I was praying this morning, and I heard the word no limits. Let me give you a picture of that. It's easy just to say no limits, right? No limits. All right. Great. No limits. Jesus said this in John 14, 12 through 14. He says, if anyone believes in me, He'll do the works I've been doing. Let's just start there. Lord, I just release a grace right now. Any religious stuff that's on our minds, I break that off for them to believe that you were just some special case and not an example to follow. If you want to receive this, just put out your hands. Right now, I release a grace to believe that they can do the things that you did, that there is no limits to their destiny. The things that they dream of and fantasize about in prayer, Lord, that's you leading them by their desires. And I pray right now for a grace to begin to believe these things like they were words from your mouth. You know, um, when you talk about greater works, it's interesting. Andrew, one of the followers of Jesus, you know, uh, Jesus had three resurrections in his ministry, uh, four if you count his own, you know, I guess you count that one. And so uh, Andrew, one of the followers of Jesus, remember Peter's brother, Peter and Andrew? So there was a ship that got shipwrecked and 40 sailors drowned. And so they pulled those 40 dead bodies up. They went into the city. They got Andrew. This isn't in the Bible. This is in church history. They went and got Andrew. He raised up all 40 drowned sailors from the dead. Greater works. Okay? That just sounds good. I just release over this church that they are going to have to put a new part in the newspaper right next to uh, uh, Dead people that week, they're going to have to put, what do you call it, obituary? Right next to the obituary, they're going to have to put dead raisings. Receive it or laugh at it, whatever you want to do, but do something. What a good idea. Dead raisings right in the newspaper. What? Unobituaries, yeah. I think a hallmark for this church is, um, is going to be risk. Um, it, it, 
you know, sometimes we get, we receive impartations, we receive things, we get our mind shifted. But there's so many times in the Bible where Jesus says things like, continue in my word. Here's what it means to continue in my word. Put it into practice. You know, the Bible does not say you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Bible does not say that. Here's what it says. It says, if you continue in my word, then you're truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here's the picture. You're receiving truth week after week from here. Okay? When you put it into practice, that's what being a good student is like. That's how you know you're a disciple. I'm actually planning on doing something with these words, not just hearing another good sermon. That's called spiritual constipation. When you eat more than you give out. Don't make me release a spiritual enema. I do not want to do that. Jesus said, you're like a foolish builder building on the sand if you just listen to these things and don't do anything with them, okay? I declare that this is a church of wise builders. This is a church who's hungry to do this stuff. I'm noticing something different. People in here, you're not just wanting to sit back and listen to stuff. It's like, I want to do this stuff. I want to be the leader of my family. I want to leave a generation behind of people who exceed me in hunger and exceed me in miracles. This is a great church that way. But it's going to take you stepping across the chicken line. Stepping across and doing some things that are uncomfortable. Why do you think the Holy Spirit is called the comforter? Because God's going to make you do a whole bunch of uncomfortable things. <laughs> David, God has given you, Pastor David, God's given you a grace to cross denominations. There's going to be a grace in your life. You're not only going to have just the favor, but you're going to have the language to be able to go and build bridges among other denominations. I think Mary might have a similar word to something on this, but I really see this house as an apostolic resource center. So it's not just a church that has good church services. Those are going to grow. Those are going to increase. The the presence of God is going to increase. But there's a grace in this church to actually make a difference in the region. Like churches will be better in this region because you're in this region, because you're going to partner with them, and God's going to give you grace. There's very few people that can cross denominations, especially charismatics, without looking kooky. And there's going to be kooky. Is that a Canadian word? Do you guys get that? All right. There's a grace on your life to be able to step across those things effortlessly. Okay, Jack Hayford was one of them. He, he had a grace in his life to, uh, he was the president of the Evangelical Association as a charismatic. And you're going to have that same grace in your life. Winona, I just see you as a fire starter. A spiritual arsonist. But there's something about you. There's a depth to your hunger. It's not just like a hunger to do this stuff. It's a hunger for the Lord. And that is going to, that is going to grow more and more. So here's what's going to happen. There's some things in the kingdom. There's some things in life that can be pushed but not pulled. And there's some things that can be pulled that can't be pushed. Spiritual hunger you can't push people into. But here's what's going to happen in this church. is Your pursuit is going to pull people into the kingdom. There's going to be something on your life where you are going to be pouring salt on their tongue. You are going to be arousing their sweet tooth. It's not going to be eat your vegetables. It's going to be arousing their sweet tooth. It's going to be like when you walk. Do you guys have Cinnabon here? Sin on a bun. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're walking by the mall, and it's like, oh, my word. I, I mean, it almost arrests your senses, okay? It's like, I, I have to have sin on a bun. And so that's, what's, that, that's what your pursuit of the Lord is doing right now. You're sowing seeds in the secret place right now that is going to be pulling people into the kingdom.
Hey. Man, all I'm thinking about is Cinnabon right now, so I don't know if I can remember what I was going to say. Luckily, I wrote something down. Um, yeah, how many know that not everything means something, but some things mean more than we think? Not everything means something, but some things mean more than we think. And so one of those things are the... Um, Pastor David and Pastor Winona was telling me that it was nine months ago that the transition actually took place. Is that correct? With you guys kind of just taking the lead? So how many know that nine months is also a term that you carry a baby? Yes. There's some ladies over there that knew that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I just, um, I really feel like these past nine months for you, oh, look, it's bleeping me out. You got too much power. I do. I feel like these last nine months um, have really been a time of God just really shaping you guys. Uh, things that you might see already and things that you don't see yet, but there's been some heart shaping going on and some things that the Holy Spirit's just rewiring and reconfiguring re, um, uh, inside here and inside here. And um, this is your nine-month mark, and I really feel like this is an important weekend for you guys and a really important weekend for your church. Um, I feel like this is a brand-new season, that this is, this is the month the baby's kind of being born. This is the season that the new baby is being born. Is everybody with me? You're tracking with what I'm saying? Okay. Um, I don't mean they're having a literal baby. Okay, we all understand that, right? Shake your head yes. I feel like you're all staring at me like, I don't know what she's talking about. Must have Cinnabon. <laughs> Cinnabon. Um, yeah, and so this is a brand new season for you guys. And um, it's a very, very exciting season. But it's also going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. Because instead of just watching these guys do it, you guys are actually equipped now. And you're going to start doing what the guy, these guys have been training you to do. And it's going to be, oh my goodness, amazing and exciting. If they want to be an uh, apostolic resource center, you guys are part of that. Like, they can't do that on their own. You guys are a complete part of that, that picture. So that's exciting. Um, during worship Friday night, the worship team, uh, you guys had kind of, and I don't know if it was part of your list or if you just sporadically went in to let it rain. Do you remember that? Um, Man, there was just such weight on that. When you guys started singing that, um, I saw I saw this church and this land as a um, uh, like a farmland where the rows, you know, like when you plow ground and there's like rows and rows and that's where you plant the seed. That's what I saw over this entire like area. And many seeds have been planted and everything was like, in the ground, ready to, to be poured out on. And when they started singing, let it rain, man, I just saw heaven open up. It was just open heaven right here. And God's rain just started coming down and giving those seeds life and giving those seeds water. And this is really going to be a season. And actually, I was um, telling Pastor Nelson that this is the season that him and his wife, they're just going to be laughing. They're going to be like, because this is the season, they're going to see so much fruit from the seeds that they individually have sown into this that, I mean, it's just going to be amazing. You guys are going to be bringing the fruit in. 
Do you understand that? You guys, with your hands, are going to be bringing the fruit in. It's going to be so exciting. So exciting. Oh, my goodness. Um, let's see. Yeah, so I just release to you right now understanding of how powerful your words are and what you're singing and what you're saying. When you guys were singing, let it rain, let it rain, I don't know if you understood what, what exactly was coming out of your mouth, but when you were singing that, you were, you're saying, heaven, open up and just let it rain on, down on us. Let it rain on these seas. Let it rain in my heart, God. And um, yeah, so just know that everything that comes out of your mouth has got so much power behind it. And you guys are actually shifting atmospheres. You're actually shifting what is happening in this building and in this region and in your life individually. Um, yeah, and so um, I noticed, um, yeah, so this weekend you guys got some tools. Uh, for those of you that went to the healing training, you guys got some new tools for your belt to use. So when you walk up on a situation, if somebody needs healing or deliverance or whatever, you just take that tool out and you know how to do it now, right? And so I was noticing that on that I pray thing, um, you guys had had the uh, as you go, advancing the kingdom. And so um, I just speak that over you, that you guys, as you go, you are that walking gateway. You're that walking encounter, that when you walk into the room, you're bringing the kingdom. You are the gateway for people to meet Jesus. You hold the keys for their freedom. When you see somebody limping with a boot on their leg, it's going to be so highlighted to you now. I'm sorry for that, by the way. <laughs> Because it's just like, it's like a blessing and a curse. But you, like, those people will be, like, highlighted to you, must go pray. But, um, but when you guys recognize that, man, I hold the keys to that person's freedom, that's a responsibility that God gave you. And it's an honor and it's a privilege. Ricky, is that you back there? Hey. Our friend from Seattle came. Okay. Remember that story I told about the girl with the cerebral palsy that grew seven to eight inches taller? You're on my prayer team today, Ricky. <laughs> okay. All right. Focus now. Focus now. Ricky messed me up. Yeah, and so um, whatever level that you are pursuing or that you're pressing into God, this is a season to take it up a notch. Um, you know, one of our pastors had released a word over our church for this season, and he said the, your, your expectation like, wherever your expectation is, whatever that level is, that's your floor for this season. And your hunger is the ceiling. <laughs> so as hungry as you are, there's going to be no ceiling. You know, as high as, as high as your hunger can go, that's as high as your ceiling is going to go. And so just want to encourage you guys to press in and pursue God like you've never done it before. Whatever, whatever level of expectation that you have right now, just take it up another notch. Just challenge, challenge God, because <laughs> he wants to do it. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to have you guys repeat a declaration. Is that okay? Yep, out of your mouths, because your words change the atmosphere. All right, so this is what I want you to say. It is my mission. It is my mandate to bring heaven to earth. I hold the keys. To someone else's freedom. I am the gateway for them to meet Jesus. As I go, I am a walking encounter. 
bringing heaven to earth. God, let it be. I'm just going to close with this picture. I, uh, this is interesting. So I asked Pastor David, I said, hey, um, I'm just kind of feeling this. Would you give me permission to release this? And he pulled out his phone. He was woken up in the uh, middle of the night last night and got this same word. So uh, we're going to take that as a confirmation. So uh, even the sharpest among us, uh, you know, we don't have to be the sharpest to get God's trying to say something. There's a picture in Revelation 22 of a river flowing from a throne of God. It's a picture of life, but it's a picture of presence. It's a, it's a picture that uh, from Ezekiel 47, everywhere the, uh, the river went, life flowed, right? And, and uh, the farther out it went, the deeper it got, okay? So here's the picture. I want you guys to begin to picture this front area as a river, okay? There's altars and there's rivers. This is now a river area. And so during worship, I'm going to encourage you, get out of your seats and come worship up here. There's something about using your body as a living sacrifice that it does more for you. You know, you know what I'm talking about. When you raise your hands in worship, it expresses something in your heart, but it also releases something, right? When you get on your knees to pray, putting yourself in that posture, it does something not only on the inside, but it releases something, right? This is a season for you guys to kind of move from that tabernacle worship into that temple worship where there's something that's going to be changed on the inside as you come up front to worship, it might feel a little uncomfortable. Who cares? You've got the comforter. Lean on him. Use him. He's bored. <laughs> Give him something to do. Give your angels something to do. And so next week, um, they're going to invite you up. Hey, we're going to invite you to come up in this area. Uh, we're just going to call it the river. There's a picture in Revelation 22. Phone room. I'm going to ask you to come up here. And uh, well, God's everywhere. I can get him in my seat. You absolutely can. And, and people are free to do that. But, so we're not trying to make anybody do something they're not wanting to do. But there's an invitation to come experience something different on the inside, but also to release something. There's people who need this church, and they need the breakthrough in the atmosphere that you will bring. And this is part of you guys doing this. Here's another part. Get here 15 minutes early and walk around and lay hands on the chairs. Jim, that sounds weird. Well, God's invisible, and you're claiming he lives inside of you. Nothing's weird after that. Like, seriously, touching chairs is weird. Speaking in tongues, that's weird. Touching chairs, believing there's an impartation, releasing your hands, not so much. Okay? And so get here 15 minutes early. Start praying over these chairs. What you're doing is you're charging up the atmosphere. So someone who's coming in, so you guys are the encounter. You guys are the ones who are carrying it. People need to walk into your force field and go, whoa, surely God is among us. They need that more than they need your coffee and your donuts. Those things are great, but they're here. not for, They can get better coffee and donuts somewhere else. Well, they're here for the presence of God. And so I'm asking you guys, get here at least 15 minutes early. Charge up the atmosphere. Walk up and down and pray. You have, you have your separate teams out there to greet people, but they're greeting them in the Lord. They're enjoying him. So river, 15 minutes early. Charge up the atmosphere. What happens if I'm late? There's grace. We're not trying to punish anybody. This church doesn't exist for this church. This church exists for this region. And there's a region that needs this kind of breakthrough. All right, Pastor David. Amen. Hallelujah. I'll just say a couple things in closing. Um, I woke up at 
I, I put in my notes at 141 this morning. I believe we're going to experience a new level of worship. And so I wrote down freedom of worship, a whole nother level. I kind of like to speak funny. A new dimension, um, front area called the river. I wrote, service may start at 1030, get here early. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. I, I, I'm going to submit something to, to Apostle Nelson and Pastor Daniel. We're going to pray about this, but I'm tempted to change the name of the gate over there and call it thanksgiving. So every time we come in here, we're ready. We don't come here to get ready. We come here ready. And we'll have a visual. So I'm tempted to put somehow put the name Thanksgiving on that gate. So every time we come, we are coming with Thanksgiving. Don't come at 1030. Come early. I'm envisioning one day our worship team is going to be practicing and revving up and getting ready. And it's just going to happen. We don't have to wait till 1030 to drop it and say, let's go. Amen? Um, radical transformation. Ecstatic. Vibrant. Living. Liberating. Prophetic worship. Things will happen. I've, God said, David, you're going to have to do it. So this morning, I got into the river. And I'm going to learn how to swim. I'm going to learn how to run. I'm going to learn how to splash in the water. Dance. You got to pray for me on that one. <laughs> I got to get some good music going for that. But I believe, and, and you know what? Parents, bring your children here. Don't say, it. my child's going to run around. Awesome. Let them bang into my knee so I get some of their passion for God's house. Bring your kids front and let them experience worship. So I, I believe that there's going to be a whole new dimension that happens in our worship. When we come and we just say, I'm here, I'm passionate to get to know you, God, more. I, I don't, I'm not satisfied. I don't want to stay where I am. I see too much trouble out there to say I'm satisfied and happy and we've reached it. As long as there's problems out there, I want more of God. Hallelujah. Are you ready to receive? Amen. So I confirm your word, Pastor Jim. I, th I thank both of you for coming. Um, wow. We've had a month of impartation in three weeks. We've got some more coming from God, that is. Amen. Have you received today? Have you received yesterday? Have you received Friday night? Amen. Did you want to do some prayer? Amen. So we're, we're going to do a bit of prayer time. I'll let Pastor Jim... If you went to the healing training um, uh, yesterday, if you could just stand to your feet. You guys are the prayer team today. If you've got kids, we'll let you uh, split up. Yeah, everyone's getting weak in the knees. And no, 
Yeah. Yeah, just remember the comforter. But um, you guys are the prayer team, and so I'll be happy to pray for anybody today only after they've been prayed for by uh, somebody on the prayer team. Hey, yeah, so you pair up, okay, and so pair up with somebody, and so uh, ask, initiate an encounter. So prayer team, come on up and face the, uh, we'll make sure you get the camera to pan them, their panic-stricken faces right now as we're... So yeah, go ahead and pair up with somebody. If you have breath spray and mints, this is the time to get it out. <laughs> okay, if anyone uh, would like prayer for anything, if they could uh, just come on up and just uh, present their need, and we're just going to expect the Lord to do good things. And uh, my wife and I, and uh, Ricky, you didn't slip out. Did you? Oh, there you are. All right. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be happy to pray for anybody uh, that, that wants... Some more. All right. Amen. So if you want some prayer, come on up. Amen. If you have any need, feel free to come forward. We're going to pray. We're going to expect God to, to do a miracle. Hallelujah.